TBS. The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Across the Airwaves, the podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV show episode reviews, along with news and opinions on the entertainment industry. I'm Dan Schmidt, your host, and with me is a guy who I feel is totally capable of giving an inspiring speech within the wake of an alien invasion. My co-host... Hey everybody, it's Nico, and welcome to Across the Airways. On today's fantastic episode, we are discussing a Steven Spielberg-produced show that's on its way towards becoming one of those great sci-fi television epics of our time. That's TNT's Falling Skies, and after which we had hoped to discuss the return of the original great sci-fi TV epic, Doctor Who, with our review of the Series 7 premiere, Asylum of the Daleks. But unfortunately, somehow, I got the t- dates screwed up or something, and we have to wait one more week for that as the premiere will not be until September 1st. But we've got a special surprise for you, as we are going to be joined by the brains behind ATA's Retro Reviews and Dan's co-host on the DC Nation podcast, our very own... Michael J. Petty. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Hey, Michael. What's up? Glad to have you join us on the original ATA now. You're getting around. Finally. I mean, great stuff. Well, we've had him on a, uh, occasionally uh, as a guest host on our live podcast, which was great. And now we're bringing him into the, the original fold, yes. as it were. Because I say podcasters assemble for this great episode. <laughs> Ooh. And with that, Michael, would you like to introduce the section that everyone enjoys listening to this podcast? It's always the favorite of everyone's. And what is that? News with Nico. Star Wars Clone Wars trailer revealed both the Clone Wars premiere date and its new time slot. Season 5 will premiere on September 29th as the show moves from Friday nights to Saturday mornings at 9.30 a.m. For full details, check out our Facebook and Twitter page. So they're lining that up with DC Nation then? Yeah, exactly. Yep, get that audience. Good call. The office to end U.S. run in 2013. The U.S. version of the award-winning TV comedy, The Office, is to end its eight-year run this year. They promised Season 9 would feature a lot of familiar faces coming back, although it is not known if original star Steve Carell will return. But if you ask me, this is about one season too late and should have ended this last season or even the moment that Steve left. But, you know, people still love the show, so they're coming back for one more. Now, is the new Michael J. Fox sitcom that's coming out that's highly anticipated, is that set to replace The Office? You know, that was my thought, that it's kind of in the same vein, and yeah, and and so it would be a good replacement. But there's no news about when they plan to put Michael J. Fox's new show into the schedule, so I don't know if it's going to jump right into that time slot and take over. 
But it, that would be the smart move on NBC's part because they are very like-minded audiences, or at least what they're shooting for for Michael J. Fox. Plus, Michael J. Fox is rock solid. Michael, you'll enjoy this news article. I think you've already reported on it in your in your own podcast, but The Huntress is coming to Arrow. As I said, I think Michael and Wu talked about this already, but Arrow is gaining yet another DC Comics character. EW.com reveals that the new CW series based on the Green Arrow will be introducing Helena Bertinelli, a.k.a. the Huntress, for a multi-episode story arc. Australian actress Jessica DeGau will play the character, who will be introduced as a vigilante and a potential love interest for Oliver Queen. The official character description says Helena is set on destroying her father's organized crime empire, but Helena's blind pursuit of revenge will put her on a collision course with the Arrow. Sounds interesting, and I know all of us here at ATA can't wait for this show to start October 10th. Absolutely. Well, they already are introducing Firestorm's, like, stepmother and the Manhunter character, as well as Deathstroke and Deadshot. So they're, they're bringing a lot of people in. Yeah. Well, that's what... Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. Well, that's what drew so many people to Smallville in the later seasons, for those big DC comic guest star episodes, or, you know, who's appearing in what episode and stuff like that. So it's a great mm-hmm. move for Arrow to start it off by just drawing in fan bases from a lot of different comics. That's absolutely true. And this is the second version of The Huntress to appear on a WB-related TV series. And our final news story of the week, Arrested Development new season to get more episodes. In a recent interview with Rolling Stone, David Cross suggested that the new season of Arrested Development, currently filming for Netflix, could be expanded from 10 episodes to 13. Cross, who plays Tobias Banger in the Mouth, Funk, on the series, said, I think it's going to be 13 episodes, not 10. There's too much story. Some characters will have two-parters. Everybody sort of participates, sometimes in a bigger way and sometimes in a tiny little thread that goes through everybody else's stories. These comments set the internet ablaze as everyone is super excited about the return of this iconic series. If you want more information, check out the full story on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Yeah, that's going to be a big deal. I know people are very, very excited for Arrested Development, and I think their fan base has grown since the show's gotten canceled. Definitely from people getting introduced to the show on Netflix or other means, DVDs and things like that, they never watched it when it first aired, but now are super fans because they watched it, you know, all three or four seasons in a single sitting or, you know, in a single weekend, and now they they just want more and more and you know that that's how these shows you know that have been off the air for quite a while get a revival and it it's the it's kind of why in the back of your mind you you, you think maybe firefly has a chance yes <laughs> maybe firefly no but yeah i'm excited for this arrested development i still have to watch the final season of the original run i never got around to it so i'm gonna watch that before this comes out but otherwise yeah i'm i'm excited about this and that's the news with Nico for this week. All right. Good stuff. Great job on that, Nico. I think with that, we're going to move into just talking about something that has been a highlight of my summer in terms of television watching. The show just keeps getting better as it goes. So let's all three of us here talk about Falling Skies Season 2. Falling Skies Season 2. 
Written and produced by Robert Rodat and then Steven Spielberg, this show takes place after an alien race has wiped out the majority of the human population. A group of soldiers band together to try and stand up against an alien force. And just kind of going into this, we're covering the whole season of Falling Skies, number one, because there's not that many episodes of the season for season two. So it's very easy to cover. Can also, some of us were out of town at summer camp, other places, and weren't able to cover this on a solid weekly basis so i know some of you were interested in us talking about it so we thought we'd just sum it all up in one big episode that michael uh, had the pleasure of joining us for so that's great stuff and really right from the get-go as season two started there were some pretty noticeable differences between seasons one and two including the addition of a lot more action which i thought came from the show getting a bigger budget and also gave them the capability to use cgi over puppets and so doing that it made things like the aliens much more impressive looking such as the skitters and the fish heads and those creepy crawly things that came in later on in the season. And I don't know, when did you guys, did you notice any big differences from season one or two like I did? I mean, the aliens seemed much more well-designed and animated and menacing compared to what we saw from the puppets that were used from aliens in the first season. Absolutely. That first scene was amazing. The whole second mass's main characters set a huge trap to get the skitters to chase them into a kill zone. And the action just being huge was awesome, you know, and that was really, it really kicked this season back into high gear right off the bat, and I I loved it. Yeah. Where were you with things, Michael? Ben had superpowers now, so I was really excited about that. Yeah. Yeah, that added to the action a lot as well. Well, and all the things that happened with them wanting to get him back and his father being gone for what was it eight months right or three maybe it was one three of the months two. i think three yeah. months okay. okay i'm getting alphas and falling skies mixed up yeah but right <laughs> okay yeah i mean him being gone for three months we didn't know really anything and we only seen like glimpses of what has happened so i don't know they might bring some of that back they may not but there was a lot there and we got, I think we got deeper into the characters this season than we did last season. Yeah. And, you know, the tone was changed a lot um, with things. I mean, with Ben being much more of a fighter this year instead of someone that they had to go out and try to save. And also with the show, they seem to be much more action-oriented by dumping a lot of the civilian characters that they had to the first season, like the Uncle Scott character, who was killed off off-screen in between seasons. And then that caused them to bring in that new mechanic, Jamil. Mm-hmm. And, right. the, and the other big thing was it seemed a lot more of the show this season took place at night and I thought that added to the season two's darker and more kick butt feel yeah yeah I felt like the decision to move to a darker feel and more nighttime scenes as you just mentioned Dan was really really great it did seem to yeah. emphasize the darker more action packed theme of the second season and I thought it was a brilliant move on the entire showrunner's decision you could feel the distrust amongst the second mass how the whole group was just trying to hang on and, and any moment something small could set the whole thing ablaze and the use of a darker hue on the show was great to help us as viewers kind of see that and then feel the tension and i think that just really brought us as viewers back into the show and kind of gave us an idea that things are maybe going better for the mass but it's still like a lot less trustful amongst members There's been mistakes, people have died, and things are, it's powder keg ready to blow. Right, and and they don't really know where they're going either. Right. Yeah. Go ahead, Michael. No, I mean, I think Nico summed it up perfectly. Okay. I, I really don't have anything to add to that. Yeah. Well, I, I'll, let me ask you this, Michael, since you're the big Smallville fan. You know, Greg Beeman, who's a big director on Smallville, is a real big driving force between Falling Skies. That new hue and darker feel, did it feel a lot like Salvation? 
it did. It felt like a, a lot like season nine in general, but Salvation yeah. mostly, especially since that was when he directed. Yeah. I think having Greg Beeman direct the show and be a big part of the show is a smart move on their part. Well, he's the guy that Smallville would bring in to do the action. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did their one of their big fight scenes in the Smallville series. So bringing him in to do Falling Skies, great move because I really thought that, you know, added to the action and stuff. Oh, yeah. Because he's the guy that, you know, sci-fi shows that were popular, such as Heroes and, and Smallville would bring in to do, you know, the cool, more action-based stuff. So that's a good call. Mm-hmm. And going on a little bit, Nico started talking about the distrust that was going on within the second mass and the mistakes being made and just everything feeling like it's going to explode if someone says the wrong thing. A big part of that came from, you know, Tom's decision to go aboard that ship at the end of the first season. And then him coming back, really, it created a lot of distrust. And there was some bug put in his head that came out of his eyeball that I thought made him a sleeper agent. And so did Pope. And there was a lot of stuff going on with Pope and Tom that really started to almost put the group in danger. And it gets so bad that Pope eventually, you know, leaves the second mass over this issue. And again, I kind of felt where Pope was coming from a little bit. Because if some weird alien bug climbed out of my military unit's second command, I would be a little leery as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll give him that one. Yeah. But again, since he is kind of a bad guy and a terrorist... You know, at the same time, you're like, eh, I don't know if I should go with him. I did like how uh, Tom handled Pope this season, though. He did yeah. it really professionally overall. And so, you know, that one where they just flat out fought each other. But <laughs> other than that. Yeah, yeah it, was a, it was a good season. And, and really, those things kind of were a driving force early on in the season that, that distrust before we got to the later story arc of getting to Charleston. Yeah. Now, did you guys think there was going to be a sleeper agent thing with Tom go on? Or did you always think that he was still a good guy and that was just to create distrust on the group? I was going back and forth with that one. Okay. I mean, I really thought he was still a good guy and that he wasn't being controlled. But maybe they had done something to him, implanted him with something that they could then see or track him. So he was unbeknownst to himself or, you know, anyone that he was essentially showing their position or giving their intel to the enemy. And so I was I was worried that that was going to come up later. And we'll talk about maybe that possibility in the future a little bit later. Yeah, you know, he's yeah, I the part that made me think that Tom was still, you know, on the side of good and not really a sleeper agent was when he got in that fight with Pope that we talked about. Yeah. Um, I felt like him, that was Kim backing up Weaver, in my opinion, the first in command. And I think if he was a sleeper agent, he wouldn't have had that much of an emotional outburst or something like that, you know. I felt that really drew attention to himself, that I would think if he's a sleeper agent, the aliens wouldn't want him doing those things. Okay. And then, you know, because that fight with Pope, basically it was caused by probably one of the first shockers of this series, or one of the first major character deaths, or at least death of a character that we've liked we saw on screen, on screen, and that was the death of Jimmy. And, uh, what'd you guys think of that? Then it was a surprise to Michael. That hurt a little bit. That, that was kind of painful to watch, yeah. painful to go through, especially for Batman, just watching that i was like please don't die he died yeah yeah jimmy was one of the first people to really accept him for for being sort of you know a a meta human or however you want to discuss him you know and jimmy was one of the first you know he was freaked out by him at first but then he saw his value and 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 that he really was just a a human who had gone through something and now yeah he had some extra abilities and things like that but he was just like everybody else just trying to survive and so i think it was 
it was very impactful on Ben when Jimmy died because he lost one of his only allies in the second mask and it further turned the rest of the second mask against him because they blamed him who was in their eyes not a human getting a human killed so that was you know rough on him and it was rough on the audience yeah Mm -hmm. and that's interesting you mentioned that um do you think that was done to turn to make ben feel more alienated from the group to get him to do what he did later on in the season well it definitely started that them along that path and definitely got us thinking that there was a possibility that he could be exiled from the group and whether that exile was his own choice or him them being forced out we later heard weaver and tom talking about the possibility that the day would come when they'd have to choose to leave him outside you know or not allow them him to be a member of the second mass and what they were going to do at that point okay yeah and you you mentioned just maybe offhandedly that you thought maybe the writers would were more interested in weaver's interaction with his daughter than a pseudo son or a son and i i don't think that that was really what they wanted weaver you know to have you know his interaction with his daughter was very good and i don't think it was a daughter versus a pseudo son of jimmy but rather what we needed to see was a loss of one of the first season characters that we had grown to care for and not just have them all die off screen like they did with all the cast cuts from season one to two right yeah we lost uncle scott and his wife the baby and her mother and a bunch of people we didn't know their names but saw them each episode in season one so we we felt that loss but the death of jimmy took all those losses and put them into a single scene yeah and let us as the viewers have a chance to see those losses and maybe grieve for some of the changes in the story and we couldn't see a mason death it was still way too early right it will ever happen for something like that to to occur so jimmy was a logical choice to die because a lot of people did like jimmy they liked the idea that he was kind of a pseudo son to weaver that he had been a fighter then he would shown himself to still be a little boy and had been taken off of kind of fighting duty in season one yeah. and then had earned himself back into a position of being a trusted fighter again and that was was you know a great redemption story and dan you and i always talk about how we love redemption stories yeah. and so jimmy had his redemption story and then unfortunately he was kind of the odd man out the one that wouldn't hurt the, the forward progress of the story if he died and so they used him to kind of signify all those deaths that we didn't get to see. Right. But this show did a great job of filling in the gaps that Jimmy's death left in the story. You know, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. We needed that death. Yeah. We needed to feel that loss. But it didn't hurt the development of the other characters with right. him being lost because it almost with, helped in some senses with Ben. Yes, that's what I was just about to say. I agree with that with Ben, especially in terms of him and Hal having to interact and setting up their brother relationship. Mm -hmm. And then with Weaver, you didn't lose Kim mentoring a younger kid or having, you know, caring for, uh, you know, a child when they brought the daughter back. So Jimmy's death, yes, it was a big loss, but it did not prevent, you know, those things that we liked about, let's say, Weaver's character or Ben from being taken away because other characters filled in that void. Mm-hmm. But Jimmy will still be missed. And I mean, I, I think his death was a, a very key and pivotal thing, especially because it's what pushed Weaver to go to Charleston. And what pushed Ben to leave as well. Yes. Yeah. Something major needed to happen to make those two things happen. And I mean, the, the biggest way you could go kind of show to push characters in a direction is through a character death. And mm-hmm. so 
we basically get this hope that that Charleston, as we know it, still exists, and it's basically a city that's still thriving under the alien invasion. And honestly, based on the scene that Tom had with the fish head at the beginning of this season, I really thought the aliens wanted them to go there as the part of their relocation plan. Because they talked about, the fish heads talked about sending Tom on this path that he compared to the Trail of Tears. And, he's, and they basically said, you're going to go where we want you to go, whether you like it or not. And so I felt that between the bug in his head and some other stuff, they like implanted the memory in his head, almost like an inception kind of thing, to get him to go to the relocation location. And again, it did, it did go down that way, but that's where I thought they were going to go. I, I, was I, get dark. I thought that was a trap. And then when they yeah. saw the city destroyed, I had thought the aliens had already destroyed it thinking they were there. And then we saw the other guys come up. But, I mean, right. I was kind of worried. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I thought, Nico, and you, you'll relate to this one. I thought we were going to get a Battlestar Galactica new Caprica situation. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. I had speculated for most of the season that Charleston was one of those detention camps that the aliens offered to Tom, and he refused in the season two premiere. I thought they were able to build this city and live in peace because maybe even unbeknownst to most of the residents, the leaders had struck that deal with the overlords and were now living in this internment camp sort of place or a relocation camp, as as you put it, Dan. And I'm still not 100% sure that that's not the case. They haven't proved to me that this is not a relocation camp you know yeah and, i mean <laughs> that, that's what keeps that keeps it interesting going forward and i i liked this idea but at the whole time my dad and i were speculating every time we'd finish an episode then they're like on to charleston and i'm like i'm not sure charleston's i you know we're, we were thinking that it was one of these internment camps yeah mm-hmm. well i like the not what the nazis during world war ii exactly want to go history well if they, yeah, or, or even the japanese internment camps here in the u.s in america because they, yep. they were left you know essentially left to their own devices within this but they couldn't leave and they couldn't do anything outside of those camps so like i was feeling so almost like, more like that you're right yeah because because they weren't being executed like you would th- you would see in the holocaust camps or the you, you know the the work camps where they were they had guards and everything for well i guess the u.s one's kind of had guards they, they yeah. weren't allowed to leave but they weren't in there acting their daily lives they just were keeping them in in their cage for lack of a better term mm-hmm. yeah well this show is so based in history your mind can't help but go to those traumatic events for it again a big thing that i was reading about the show is it's mainly based in the revolutionary war time period that's their basis for a lot of their storylines absolutely because that's tom's bread and butter right he, you know he was a revolutionary war professor right so i think they're mainly going to go down that route you know they're sticking to revolutionary war stuff so we might not see like concentration camp storylines and things like that again spielberg's kind of beat that to death so I would respect it if he kind of stayed away from it. The other thing is it kind of turns it into Battlestar Galactica. And I think, you know, there needs to be differences shown between the two shows. Isn't Battlestar Galactica in space, though? Yes, but but they're like survivors of an alien attack, basically. I mean, they're robots instead of aliens, but... And they look like humans. Yeah, and they look like humans. So, like Terminators. Yeah, very yes. much so. Terminators Except for they space. have sex with humans. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> He's like, whoa, I'm not watching that show. No, it's a great show. It It is. You do have to turn a little bit of that suspended disbelief on, you know, or off, however you want to say it. But, yeah, 
no, it's a great show, and there's a reason it was. It went four and a half seasons, or three, and then two half seasons. It, it was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Dan still hasn't watched Jericho's. I don't know. Oh, do we got to go on that? After two years of begging you. Uh, well, moving on, you know, a big difference I felt, you know, between Battlestar Galactica and Falling Skies is this character of Ben, Tom Mason's, the second oldest son. He basically was taken by the Skitters early on in the war and later freed during season one. And now this season, as we said before, his role has changed dramatically because he is a soldier now within the second mass. And he's got these alien superpowers. And I feel like he's going to almost grow into the Captain America super soldier of the resistance against the aliens. I feel like he's that that hero totally yet. He's got a lot to learn. And he's almost growing into a hero role in a very similar fashion to Clark Kent on Smallville. So that's another Beeman connection thrown in there. I really feel like he's developing into the hero of the war. He's not all there yet because he did make some mistakes this season. Because there were some decisions he's made that neither Hal or his dad Tom was right about. And he wasn't, you know, on the same page. And that got him into a little bit of trouble. Now, do you guys agree that he's on the route to become this character? I do. I think you almost need that character in something like this. Even yes. if, I mean, even if it is based off the Revolutionary War, the Revolutionary War was fought between humans. Right. This is fought between humans and aliens and obviously something else as we see at the end of season three. But I don't think that alone they could win it. And I don't want to say I don't have faith in humanity because I absolutely do. Right. And I, think, and I think if that's where they wanted the show to go, I think they could make it happen that way. But I think realistically, and that's I'm mean, using that really loosely because of the whole alien aspect, yeah. you would almost need a character like Ben or characters like Ben to be on the side of the humans in order for them to win and overpower them and force them off the planet, especially if they have flying spaceships and laser guns and stuff like that. So I completely agree with you, Dan. I don't know if he's going to wear a red, white, and blue costume, right. although that'd be pretty cool. I don't know if that'll happen, but I do agree. I think that's where they're going with the show, with his character anyway. And I think, yeah, I, I think having Tom as his father is really going to boost that. A lot like Jonathan Kent was Clark's father on Smallville. So right. I, I do agree with that direction completely. Well, he just seems like a character that with his powers, I mean, he's vital to the war with his connection to the Skinner Rebellion. He just seems like a character you can rally around in the fight, much like people well, did with Captain America. And, and you don't want him on the opposite side. You want him on your side. Right, exactly. You do. And I, I think I like it how he straddles both sides. You know, he, he sympathizes with the aliens in kind of a Elliot from E.T. kind of fashion. But at the same time, he's on the side of humanity and wants to, you know, make sure that Earth, you know, humanity's not, doesn't go extinct, I guess. Because that's mm -hmm. the best way to put it. Well, because he still considers himself human in right. some regard. Yeah. Now, where, where's your viewpoint on this, Nico? Yeah, I think... I, I do see him as that sort of – I almost see him less like Captain America and more like an X-Men. Okay. You know, because hmm. he's he's still wary of the humans because of what they think about him and everything. But he still wants to be the best he can for the humans and he protects the humans. So he's very much like a student or a, a prodigy of Professor Xavier. You know, he, he thinks like Xavier. He has powers, but he's human and he was human. And so, yes, he, he still will help the rebellion. He's he's very much for the rebellion because he he sees uh, a likeness in them but he's not going to he's not going to choose to fight for the skitters obviously you know right. he's going to fight for the rebellion against the skitters to save humanity so i see him a lot like a an x-men hmm. 
Yeah, actually, I might change my argument because that's yeah. that's almost more valid than Captain America. I I completely agree with that. I like that a lot. Yeah, sounds a lot like Cyclops in some regards too. Yeah, very much so. And I, I with you saying that, I kind of hope that we see more aliens kids that are on the side of good. Right. As we did see on. the one guy who infiltrated right, Charleston guy. and came to give the message to, to Tom, but we didn't see him whether he had any abilities. And I think didn't they kill him anyway? Yeah, he died in the, the general's sneak attack. Yep. Yeah. Well, and then the other aspect you have with Ben is you have his brother Hal who kinda doesn't really get what's going on with the whole changes and you know, why Ben sympathizes with the aliens, I think, to a certain degree. Hal is the, you know, straight arrow, good guy of the series. I feel like he's the Leodama for you <laughs> Battlestar Galactica fans, where he, he just sees it one way. These aliens are bad, they need to get off the planet. And he doesn't get the, the gray area that Ben exists in. God, it really reminds me a lot of what they do with Sam and Dean Winchester. Got Supernatural, mm-hmm. where Dean is, you know, fight, 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 the creatures of the night, the supernatural, and Sam sometimes connects with them or sympathizes with them, and they get into clashes about that stuff. No, and Sam had powers, too. And Sam had powers as well, which scared Dean, and I think Hal is scared of Ben's powers and abilities in the same way. Yeah, I like that idea. I don't feel that Hal and Ben are as like-minded or on the same page as maybe Sam and Dean are. Right. But I also think there's a little bit more of a difference in age still at this point. Well, they might have the same difference in age number of years-wise, but maturity-wise, Hal and Ben are – there's a much bigger gap there. Yeah. And they can't have the same relationship at this moment that Sam and Dean have. But I can see why you like that idea, and I definitely like it too, because I see a lot of similarities as well. I just think that, you know, there's a lot more difference between the two characters than we see in Sam and Dean. Yeah. I, I can feel you there. That's that's a good thing. I th- it could eventually get more like Sam and Dean as the show goes on. Exactly. And the actors get older. Did I mean that more for Ben's perspective than, you know, Al? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, again, their dynamic is going to take a whole different turn next season, depending on what exactly happened to Al in the finale. Right. And we'll get to that in a little bit. And then, uh, of course, we talked about how Ben connects with a skitters, a group of skitters who are basically rebelling against the fish heads that once enslaved them. So we have that going on. And then we have this character that Michael likes to call the new Meg. That was the little <laughs> demon from Supernatural that caused them a whole load of trouble. That never dies. That never dies. And now yeah. we have Karen on Falling Skies, played by the same actress that's Cinderella, got Once Upon a Time. And will be on Last Resort. And will be on that show, Last Resort, as well, as an alien that set off a nuclear missile. No, no, no. Wouldn't that be great? Best series ever. They're, they're, they're actually, you know, they exist in the same universe, though. But yeah, Karen, you know, she when she came into the story, she really threw me for a loop on which direction Ben's character was going to go throughout the rest of the season. I, I was really scared that they were going to, you know, send Ben down the path of the dark side because he wanted to get some from Karen. But again, it didn't go that way, thankfully. And I think it's pretty clear that Karen is with the aliens and Ben is on the side of the resistance. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Ben has always been on the side of the second mass and resistance. But, you know, he feels an obligation to free the skitters that want to rebel. Yes. And I love, I love this idea that a skitter rebellion and that I, I love that idea of there just being a skitter rebellion and that the unharnessed kids are acting as sort of the go-betweens of the humans and the rebels. And that's sort of an amazing idea that I think really amps up the tensions that we see, you know, as we see, it's very hard for many 
many humans to believe that there even is a Skitter Rebellion and other people finally do come around to that idea. It's really a cool idea to, to have this. And I think that that's going to be really important going forward to keep kind of some of the tension and action going in this story. Well, are we even going to really have a Skitter connection? I mean, are there more rebels out there than what was killed in the general sneak attack in the finale? If we- well, I think there were a few Skitters still from that initial rebellion. I, I know Red Eye died, but there were a few left, but I think they scattered, and I think some of them will return. I don't know how we're going to notice that they're, you know, the Red Eye was very telling, but how are we going to tell whether they're a rebel or a, a legit skitter? I don't know. Yes. That's why you've been, I guess. I guess, yeah. Exactly. But but I'm not like Karen. I, I, when she first came harnessed, I felt really, I, I don't know, I really wanted them to get her unharnessed. Yeah. I was yeah. really rooting for Hal. And then she went full on evil and scary in the last season finale. I'm like, all right, you can kill her. Okay. I don't care anymore. <laughs> Then I had to root for Hal and Maggie, but yeah, but just just root, not worship. Mm-hmm. Hal and Maggie, right? You know, speaking of that, we're going to move on to talking about Hal and Maggie, I guess. Now, every time I think of Maggie's character, I think of Wu because of how he like just absolutely like adores Sarah Carter. Yeah, between between her and Katie Cassidy, that guy. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Duh. Well, anyway, what we have this season is, since Karen got taken, then went totally evil, now there's a relationship developing between Hal and Maggie. They kind of started as, like, brothers-in-arms kind of thing, and then it turned into a romance. And it's pretty good, and there's a lot. A lot of the backstory has to do with Maggie having brain cancer and getting over that to basically face a world that got invaded by aliens, which is kind of crappy, but I guess it means she was meant to survive to save the world. So that's kind of interesting. And the big thing that came out of that for me because that's so much the romance. I mean, to get all shows need to have a romance to keep us interesting, but just Pope's role in the whole thing. About how he wanted to help them stay together. He kind of gave advice to Maggie that she needs to come clean about some mistakes she made in her past for them to be together. Because I feel like him doing this and like caring enough to say something makes it feel like he's not such a bad guy. God, there's more to him than what we're seeing at the surface. Even the possibility that he might have not even been that bad of a guy before the alien showed up. I don't know. That would explain some things. Yes. Yeah, I think for sure that he's he's definitely got his his own way of doing things, and maybe he didn't live within the law per se when when humans had a society and weren't invaded by these aliens. So yeah, he might have been technically a bad guy in the sense that he was a criminal, but he still seems to have a fairly moral compass. And that's why I think Tom and Weaver keep him around because, yeah, he is, he's a pain in their side, but he has value and they do see some good in him. And I think we're supposed to see that, that he was not as bad as the rest of his gang that were riding with him, that were rapists, murderers. He was better than them. And you could tell that from the very moment he had a sort of a philosophical debate with Tom in that very first scene. So I do think he's a better person than maybe some of us give him credit for, or maybe than he even gives himself credit for. And I think that's interesting. Well, I think that the part of him, the crazy side or the screw loose side that he has, or the unpredictable side, really came from him having to adapt to survive because he could not let those murderers and rapists and people that were worse than him get the upper hand. Right. Because they could have easily turned right back around. They killed him and took him out. So he almost had to, you know, adapt to survive, I guess. 
That's a very interesting way to look at it. So he had to do some things he wasn't proud of just to stay alive because, really, if you think about it, he was kind of outnumbered. Mm -hmm. To me, in some ways, Pope is kind of like the green arrow of the second mass. And I don't say that to be, like, I don't don't mean, like, in a hero way. No, he's an anti-hero. But he he keeps them on point a lot like Green Arrow does, especially in Justice League Unlimited. And Wu and I talked about this on our Longbow Hunters episode. But basically, Green Arrow's role in the Justice League was to keep everyone on point to make sure that every decision they made that was going to change something was made for the right reasons and not made to, I don't know, be unmoral or unjust in any way. And I think that's kind of Pope's role in the second mass, which is why he questions Weaver and Tom so much. Yeah. And I think in some ways that's a good thing, but in other ways he might be abusing that privilege. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point to make about his character. And the other thing is, I mean, the interesting thing about Pope is that he does show loyalty to them as well. He does mm-hmm. back up the second mass. Then we'll get that to that in a little bit. But he, he has a side of loyalty to him and will somewhat back up the second mass when needed to. And speaking of Pope and his group called the Berserkers, one of my favorite characters I enjoyed this season, who kind of fit into that redemption story role that Jimmy had last year, would have to be the, the Berserker who was the sniper that you know, when in Afghanistan, uh, got his squad killed. Yeah, Tector was my favorite new character this season, and I really enjoyed the episode where he and Captain Weaver were riding in the truck, and we learned about his time as a Marine prior to the invasion, and like you just said, how he blamed himself for the deaths of his men in Iraq and Afghanistan, and how that influenced his not wanting any additional responsibility, and why he joined the Berserkers, and he didn't want anyone under his command because he's afraid that he'll just get them killed, and I thought that was a really great story and and really like you just said it it is a redemption story for him that we saw in the later parts of this season and it it played a great role in him getting a chance to redeem himself by turning against the military who was going to make him do something against his conscience and he he went with the second mass and said no i I can't arrest them this is wrong you'll have to arrest me too and he essentially then went on the suicide mission to take out the the alien weapon and that was his redemption yeah there was a great arc in those final three episodes for his character very much so yeah yeah i really enjoyed that part yeah Mm -hmm. and within those episodes we got just like an awesome fake out for this show especially in regards to finding charleston i mean we get this incredibly well delivered speech from weaver about how they're going to go on they're going to keep fighting they're going to you know do their thing and i fully believed charleston wasn't there it was destroyed like the commercial break showed us where the bus got the whole second mass pulled up on that blown up highway and they saw the city in ruins I thought it wasn't there. They're going to have to move on. Charleston was a disappointment. And I really got to say real quick as a sidebar, Will Patton is amazing on this show. He can give me inspirational speeches like every day. Like when I wake (laughs) up in the morning, I want one of his speeches just to keep going because it just fires me up every time he gives one. God, like the other day I was watching, my sister was watching Remember the Titans. God, he gave his, you know, speech to the football team. God, I was ready to go fight aliens. <laughs> we need to re-edit that and put that in falling. He's like, you can blitz all night. God, I'm like, I'm coming, aliens. Let's go. Let's bring it. Because uh, he's just awesome. He, he makes this show. Because if they kill off his character, it's going to be a sad day. It really is. I don't know if they'd do that just yet. Let's hope not anyway. Uh, yeah, me too. I agree. He's just, he's outstanding. He makes this show with his speeches. Okay, And I, I don't want to cut out Noah Wiley because 
he's given some rock solid speeches on this show as well and he's just great i mean i love noah wiley but i loved him back on er so you know hear him on this show is great and the two of them together is just outstanding what i mean just what an amazing grab to get both of those actors honestly but again they know how to use will Patton's speeches so incredibly well because yes what he said was inspiring but it also made me believe that charleston wasn't there and then like i had this huge smile on my face kind of almost cheered when they're about to leave and all of a sudden porter walks out of the bushes and i don't know if that actor's been in anything else but i really like the actor that plays porter like i feel like when he's around and he shows up i'm like this is a military guy he knows what he's talking about and we're safe with this guy in charge so him showing up was just awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally fell for the, the fake out. Okay. Did you, Michael? Believe the fake out? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I just thought it was well executed. I, I don't know if you guys have anything more to say on that one. I just looked up Dale Dye is the actor's name, and he has been in a ton of things. Saving Private Ryan, Mission Impossible, Platoon, Natural Born Killers. He's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah. Entourage, so you know. Imagine. Just a ton of TV and movies. Yeah, he's... Well, I knew I'd seen him before. before. I just couldn't place it. Yeah. Well, another big grab for them with this show. Yeah. I mean, they've got some quality actors on this show, it might add. And, again, another one that they brought in was Terry O'Quinn, who we all know from Lost and Hawaii Five-O. And Millennium. Briefly, and Millennium. And Jag. And Jag. And most people uh, know him <laughs> as John Locke now. Yeah. The Emmy Award-winning character. And we get here, and Tom, again, Arthur Manchester, the character Terry O'Quinn plays, are old friends. But their friendship doesn't last very long, as Manchester's pretty much proves that he's a weenie, and he's going to sit around and hide while the aliens invade the Earth. Well, that's one way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> but he made me mad. I scream at the TV. The yeah, way- he became a power-hungry dictator. Yeah. Yeah, he was hiding behind the idea of democracy, but not living democracy. And that's always a dangerous thing. And he was essentially abusing his knowledge of history and how things work. And Tom, who was initially blinded because of his admiration for his former professor and friend, finally saw through it and realized no, this is not right. He he has the right ideas, but he's going about it the wrong way. And so there all of a sudden became that conflict. And, you know, even to the end of the, the season, that conflict never really resolved. And yeah. essentially Tom told Weaver, uh, we should probably get out of here pretty quick because they're not happy with the way we want to yeah. do things. And okay. then, of course, we, we get to that last 30 seconds of the episode. So, yeah. Where everything's been thrown out the window now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. You know, I love the speech that Tom gave where he cited things out of Manchester's book. Yeah. It said, look, buddy, this isn't <laughs> yeah. right. This is the In front of everybody. Yes. He's like, that's not how it's going to work. And really, I... I, It's a giant F you to Manchester, you know? (laughs) It was great. And Weaver's just sitting there loving it the whole time. I really feel like that was... Tom being able to do that came out of Kim and Weaver eventually being able to work together at the end of season one. Yeah, great point. Where they were on shaky ground, and I feel like because of Weaver's presence and his openness to look at things from Weaver's perspective, I think he was able to look beyond what Manchester did. You know, I feel like because of the alien invasion, he's grown beyond what Manchester taught him or what Manchester made him to be. You know, he's gone beyond the master kind of thing. Yeah. In a positive way, not a Darth Vader way. In a Darth Vader way. Definitely Darth Vader way. No. 
And what was even better, I mean, speaking of like the FUs to Manchester, Pope gave him like the bustle of the episode. Where Absolutely. Manchester turns to Pope and says, okay, I want you to help me screw over Tom Mason. And he's like, only I screw over Tom Mason, not you and I. <laughs> that sounds like almost a Joker thing. And the more I look at him, the more I think this guy could play Joker because he just has that look and that attitude. Yeah. Well, and also, I think he respects certain people in the second mass. They didn't want to throw everyone under the bus. Mm-hmm. And then out of this, we get kind of a, well, as Pope says, good going, Mason. You threw us right into the middle of a coup as people kind of get sick of Manchester's ways. And the general there played by, oh, what's the character on Eureka's name? Taggart. Taggart, yes. Actually, that's Taggart on Eureka. Got also Pestilence on Supernatural. <laughs> yeah, that's real positive. Well, yeah, <laughs> right. General Pestilence. Yes, Pestilence yeah. is leading the resistance against the aliens. Getting out, he's on the show, and you know, he's a veteran sci-fi actor as well. And he decides to declare martial law. And the Second Mass guys don't really like that either. So he lets the Second Mass out of jail, and then they say, no, we don't want to do martial law. So the Second Mass goes back in jail. <laughs> That didn't last long. And then a kid with the a kid involved with the Skinner Rebellion shows up and says, Ben has a message for you. And so they go and find out the message. And they basically find out that the aliens are building a super weapon and it needs to be destroyed. And of course, Manchester and the military did everybody's like, no, we're not. We're not going to do that. That's suicide. So, so second mass, why don't you could go, you could go now? Because we don't want you here anymore. We've caused enough trouble. We're just going to throw you to the wolves. They're like, okay. Yeah. So go. So they, they go on a suicide mission. But they got some backup, though. Porter came through in the clutch. See, I'm telling you, you guys, they have to follow Porter. He knows what he's doing. Because <laughs> he saw through all the crap before it even got, it blew up into a mess. So anyway, so Porter decides to help them. And he gives them guns and weapons and some stuff for them to be able to go. And they go, and they go on the suicide mission, basically. Basically all the fighters from the second mass. And a character gets killed. Michael was mad about that. Mm-hmm. Who was the unfortunate soul to die, Michael? It's die. Die died. Yeah, that kind of stuff. But we were glad that it wasn't the guy that the guy that went off with Pope. Oh, what's his character's name? The black guy. Yeah. <laughs> I want to call the black guy on there. It's kind of like, well, I think everyone knows who we're talking about now. I was, I was glad that Die died over him. That sounds even worse. I know, it does. <laughs> but it was bad. It was bad for... That was sad. But, I mean, it, it could have been worse. But he died, he died kind of like a uh, Derek Reese sort of death, where it was, like, real quick and real realistic instead of, like, slow motion death thing. Yeah, he had a wash death. A wash death. Derek Reese, whatever. Yeah, same thing. It works. Go ahead, Nico. I, I think someone needed to die in that scene. Yep. And unfortunately, die seemed to be the only one left that was essentially expendable. Right. I'm sad to see him go, for sure. But really, he was kind of not in this season at all, it right. seems. So he was kind of essentially already dead in the action sense. So I could see why he was chosen as the one to die. I think I think the character's name we were talking about, Anthony, maybe? Yes. Was the the detective he used to be a detective and right. he and Pope went and left the second mass earlier in the season and then came back and Anthony could have been another one to die but I almost feel like he and Pope aren't done yet in their story right so I think die was the only one who had run his course and he was always getting injured and stuff like that so I think they finally said well this time I think we're gonna kill him yeah and 
I'm sad to see him go because he was one of the original scouts that was out with Mason and Hal. And yeah. so it's sad to see any time one of those people is gone. But I think he was the one to go. Yeah. And the other casualty okay. was the, the red-eyed Skitter, the Skitter right. Rebellion leader. And I thought more could have been done with him. I was yeah. kind of disappointed lot, to see him go. Yeah, yeah, a lot more could have been done. Uh, you know, I felt there was a whole Ed- Elliot's phone home ET connection with him and Ben. And I wanted to see more of that. And him actually two, have a relationship with Two ET with references today. Wow. <laughs> well, it's Spielberg. Come on. <laughs> I do have a theory we'll talk about in a minute about that. And But when we get there, I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> Does it involve the word ouch? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's good. Do you want to mention the theory now, or do you want to wait a minute? No, I think we'll get to it as like a closing remark. Does it? Okay. Nah, I think we'll build up suspense. So it yeah. has to do with the Ed Cliffhanger surprise. <laughs> exactly. Kind of. Okay. Well, yeah. More could have been done with that. Karen was very menacing in this scene. Yeah. Zapping people with this weird stick thing and making out with Hal and doing something weird to him and <laughs> climbing away like Spider-Man. Do, 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 do. I want to I want to see her and like Ben duke it out with their powers. Yes, I think that'd be kind of awesome. Or if they have to bring in a guy skitter, just so it's more I guess proper. No, Ben can kill Karen. It's fine. Okay, no one cares. Yeah, that much. I think I think we're beyond that point because they are sort of human plus. Okay, and um, it's war, and it's war, okay, and it's war, and we have we have both male and female fighters in this whole show. So I don't see a problem with a girl and a guy going toe to toe. I don't think there's going to be a problem with that. I mean, I I don't think that there shouldn't be that in superhero movies right. and stuff. You know, because we have girls going up against guys that you know, like in Avengers, you saw Black Widow Black going Widow, up yeah. against uh, all kinds of, of guys, and n- none of them were equals to her. She was so much more skilled, but mm. I. Th- Yeah, I think we're at the point where men and women should not be treated, you know, men and women heroes should not be treated differently in our media. Yeah, I agree with you on that. That's a whole other discussion yes. we don't need to get into right now well at should almost be here for that oh boy yeah talk to our friends at legendary women as well they, no. they can take care of that no they can't well catwoman <laughs> took out half the bad guys at the end of the dark knight so right i guess you're you got a good point so she was awesome in that movie <laughs> yes she was that's another thing that, that's another episode yeah another yeah, I could see it going that way. I could also see maybe Karen having some sort of redemption. I don't know if they do that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if they want to do a Romeo and Juliet epic love story with Dude, her and Ben. Never. I kind of think that would be cheesy, but I don't know. It would be gross. I feel like Hal and Maggie are the love story that we're just going to write that out. And, and Tom and, of course, the doctor as well. Anne. Anne, yes. Do you forget her name? Anne, yes. <laughs> I call her the doctor. The doctor. I know the actress's name, Moon Bloodgood, because yeah. that's kind of an awesome name. That is awesome. And they're having a baby, her and Hal. I mean, her and Tom. Her and Hal? Her and Hal are having a baby? Her and Tom are having a baby. Her and Tom are having a baby. Yeah. Um, actually, Moon Bloodgood herself is pregnant, and I'm wondering if that had something to do with that call. the decision to make her get pregnant, or if that was already in the plans anyway. But she, I saw her on Conan this summer, and she was five months pregnant, and <laughs> she was fun. 
funny because Conan said something about, and I can see you're pregnant. And she said, yeah, I'm pregnant, not fat, pregnant. <laughs> it, was, it was just funny. But I, anyway. I, I think what that's going to do is it's going to give Lourdes more stuff to do. Okay. Because she won't be able to move around as much, you know? So they're going to be like, oh, you have to get off your feet. You're, you're pregnant. I don't know how much of, you know, her being pregnant is going to be filmed, you know, with her pregnancy and filming, how that all lined up. Well, they so, start right. filming in a few weeks. Okay. Well, maybe then they do. Yeah, then she will be pregnant in that part. Yeah, she will be. So I don't, I, I could see that happening. Also, I'm kind of interested to see uh, Tom's youngest son's reaction. Matt. 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 Yeah, Matt's reaction. Yeah, I think it could go one of two ways. Either he really starts clinging to Anne and sees her as like a surrogate mom, or he rebels against her because he doesn't want her to replace his mom. I could see it yeah. go either way. So we might get some of that. I hope nothing creepy happens with the baby, that a skitter takes the baby. or Yeah, I, I almost cringe at making a reference to this show because it has gone so bad. But I think yeah. almost we could get Matt being sort of like what they did with Parker. Oh, in- God. <laughs> <laughs> where, where we thought he wanted to kill the, the kid. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And, but he was really just trying to. Uh, yeah, that was so bad. Oh, God. They've done a better <laughs> job with Matt, especially in that yeah. one episode where they found the little girl that was got harnessed. Yeah. Can stop. They did some really good plot lines with him. Yeah. Again, Spielberg is very good. His his stuff is very good in terms of telling stories with kids involved. Yeah. So I don't think we'll get anything all that cheesy. Again, I could see with this baby coming some scene where Hal walks off with the baby since because now it seems like oh he's, stop it please because now based on what Karen did to him, it seems like he's like a sleeper agent. Like he's well, what what we thought Tom was going to be got to be in the season because like the little bug crawls on his ear and he like goes all like evil. He kind of has that red kryptonite smirk on his face yeah and on nico's bad no 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 well well the thing about this season is that this year they did something along with every episode on the falling skies website called second watch and that was hosted by will wheaton and actors and writers from the show would be on to discuss the episode and i actually watched i've only watched one and it was the one immediately after the finale because i got online and i'm like i have to watch this and they talk about the fact that when hell was uh i guess taken over or possessed or whatever the parasite did to him it went into his ear like you mentioned dan which is something it didn't do with tom which and they speculated that maybe it could lead to him going it going into the brain and controlling him through those means so they stole from animorphs oh i definitely think that's the way it's gonna work there was actually an X-Files that worked yes. here. Thank you. Yeah. That's a better reference. That's a better uh, reference. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the first X-Files episodes I ever saw, and it freaked me out. Man. Is that the one <laughs> Is that the one in Antarctica? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I've seen that. I remember that one. That's a crazy episode. It's, well, it's kind of like the movie The Thing, if you've seen that. No, I have not. With Kurt Russell. Yeah. I'm, I may need to go see that. It's kind of freaky. It's, it's an old movie. It came out like in the 80s. It's a crazy, it's a crazy monster movie. It's just like that X-Files episode. Very, very similar. That's uh, creepy. My first thought, though, and this is bad, was Animorphs. People were really into reading those when I was, like, in elementary school. Because they had these little, like, creatures called the Yurks. Because they would get inside people's ears and control them. I still have, like, inside. three of them in my room. Okay, I didn't know if they, those were before your time or not. Nope. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally lost. I think that was after my time. <laughs> 
actually, you know what? Aaron Ashmore was on the TV show. Really? They tried to Nickelodeon, yeah. Oh, my lord. Or maybe it was Sean. It was either Aaron or Sean. I mean, they look the same, so it's hard to tell, but yes. They're the same person. It's okay. Yeah. Well, Fringe kind of made us feel that way. Anyhow. So, you know, I wasn't really cool with this this idea of Hal possibly being a sleeper agent. Yeah. I, I'm kind of sick of the whole inside man idea because even, everyone thought Tom was going to be controlled or could be controlled by the skitters or the fish heads like we were just saying. And thus, I felt like we've already tread this ground and we don't need to retread it with Hal. Although, you know, maybe it will probably be more subtle spying and he will essentially... There's, there's a possibility he doesn't even know... He he's being controlled and it might turn on and turn off and it might be I hate to go back because we've already made two or three references to Battlestar but sometimes with the six I'm totally forgetting Trisha her name Helfer's character no I'm, I'm, I'm thinking the wrong one Grace Bart her Grace character Bart. Homer yeah the, yeah, the, the one that went she evil would, right she would all of a sudden she's the one that got taken over and, and shot Adama but yes. she she would lose control for a second and then she'd wake up and she would be somewhere else and not know how she got there and I think that's a possibility for Hal. And he won't want to say anything because he yeah. doesn't know what's going on. And so I think that that's a possibility. He may be in contact with the aliens or they may be able to see through his eyes because of things in his brain, yeah. you know. And so he'll be giving away information without knowing it. Well, based on that smirk he had on his face, I thought like his personality changed somehow. Well, I think maybe it does when he's being controlled and then it goes uh... into sleep and he's back to being himself. And then... So it it's almost like a Hulk like, thing. Yeah, very much so. I was going to say like a, a a colored kryptonite, but the Hulk is much better. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, it does. That makes sense. Yeah, and the, the one last thing I had to say about that, because I think that Pope is going to pick up on this, because he's already paranoid about it anyway. Right. And I think he's going to play a part in getting the bug out of his brain, and that's going to be a part of his development towards becoming more of a good guy or more of a hero-like character. Because we already felt like he's kind of rooting for Maggie and Al to get together. So I feel like he's going to do this to almost help her out in a way. Or keep her safe. And I feel like there's going to be a clash with Tom where Tom's going to be like, you're attacking my son. You're going after him. And he's like, no, no, professor. I'm trying to save your kid here, but I have to go to extreme measures to do it. So I think there'll be some good tension with them regarding that whole conflict if it goes that way. I think it's great. Could Hal possibly go to Pope in fear of his dad freaking out? That's interesting, too. I don't don't know if that's out of character or not. But I think if that were to happen, he'd go to Maggie first, and Maggie would would take him to Pope, Pope, and that's how he'd get to Pope. Or would uh, he go? I think Hal would go directly to Pope himself. Or would he go to Ben? Uh, that's a possibility too. But I don't think Ben would get him to Pope. No, I agree with that. I was just saying, would he go to Ben instead of Maggie or Pope? Maybe Ben comes to him because he knows up some sort of interference or some sort of signal coming from him in his spikes and realizes something's not right. Yeah. You know what? This is the thing with this. I trust these writers right now. Right. They've given us two really solid seasons and I've liked everything they've done. So, I mean, we'll, we'll pass judgment on this when we have to pass judgment on this. So far, it's just an early plot thread, so we don't know where it's going. So I think we threw out some good theories, but that's pretty much it. But really, with theories, the big thing I want to get to asking both of you guys about 
is these aliens that arrived in the pods at the end of the finale. Uh, the big question, the teaser for next season left us with, are are they good or evil? And with that, is this going to make the second mass stay in Charleston? Or are they going to go with their original plan to leave? I mean, they knew that they didn't get along with everybody. And Manchester didn't see things their way. And they needed to get out. But now that there's another force added to the situation, are they going to stick around to figure out what's going on? And again, was this the decision? Why they killed off the Skitter Rebellion leader? Because essentially these characters are going to replace that rebellion as their allies. So I don't know who wants to go first on that or you guys need Nico, to flip the coin. Nico, go ahead. Okay. okay. I do believe they will make the decision to move on and continue much of the way season one and two were with them on the move from sort of a base of operations to the next base of operations. Yes. So I don't think that they're going to stay in Charleston. I, I say that because they had already made the plan and where I think the new aliens go is going to go that way. And and that is my dad and I think that these guys coming from the skies will be allies with the humans. I agree too. And are a race of aliens that either have been fighting a war across the stars with the, the fish heads and are attempting to slow or stop their parasitic attempt to dominate the galaxy. That's one option. I think that in that case, the aliens will help the resistance and humans to fight them off. And what I think is actually probably more realistic is that I think that maybe the new aliens are the original race of the rebellion skitters, but before they were converted to skitters. And they're trying to either get revenge for the destruction of their world or to rescue their enslaved children. Either way, that seems badass. (laughs) That's a badass, awesome idea. And that's why I think they're going to be allies to the humans in season three because it's going to be trying to prevent another race from being completely changed into these skitters and to help stop them once and for all, make Earth the last stand. I think that makes season three awesome. Well, and the other question is, do you think that there's going to be tension between this new alien race and some of the humans? Yes. Or the people in Charleston? Okay. Absolutely. There has to be. They're not going to trust one alien race comes in and destroys civilization and another alien race shows up and says, hey, we want to help. Why should we trust that you're not going to do the same thing once we kick these guys off the planet? You know, and so I think that there's going to be a lot of distrust and a lot of people who just want to kill everybody. Yeah. Well, now it's like Close Encounters meets War of the Worlds now. Yeah. Both Spielberg movies have been thrown into one story. Wow. I I really like your uh, your theory, Nico. I also think it could go the way, kind of like um, the Thanagarians invasion in Justice League Starcross, Dan. Yes. Where they're coming, they help, or it makes it look like they're helping, and maybe they just want the planet. I don't know. Dan, you, you and I have talked off screen or off camera, off recording, whatever, and we kind of thought that maybe these guys' homeworld was destroyed by these guys or taken over, and they're coming back to help because they don't want to see it happen again, kind of like what Nico said. So I think it could very much go that way as well. I think them being bad on top of the skitters and the fish heads is just too much. Mm -hmm. I just think it's too much to comprehend for the story, and and it just makes the fight seem endless. And I think this show does have an end point in mind. You know, they I think they know a set number of seasons, and we're going to be done. I, I really think this is a show that's been set up with that regard. So I think that makes the story a little too long. Mm-hmm. But I do think Earth might be the center of something. You know, that the Skitters 
the skitters and fish heads want earth for some reason and that's where you know the the reference to the justice league episode starcross comes in because the thanagarians wanted earth as a checkpoint to jump to this other planet to fight in their war you know against them mm-hmm. so maybe the skitters are trying to use earth as a way to get the advantage against this race that's shown up which would make perfect sense the other thing is, based on this show's connection to history, I feel like these aliens showing up is like the U.S. joining the fight for, to help Europe during World War II. Or if you go back to the Revolution, it's like the French coming to aid the colonists. Exactly. So I feel like it's that type of thing, too. The reason why I say the U.S. is I feel like they have a lot more firepower when they come into the fight and things like that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I see that. But the French, yes, that they crossed my mind for the Revolutionary War. I mean, these aliens are going to have laser guns and stuff. I don't want it to go too overboard, though. You know, I, I don't want it to like be... Like space. Yeah, I don't want it to turn into Halo. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. God, I, that's my best reference there. I don't want to see Tom Mason, like, fire, firing a needler or something. That that would be kind of nuts. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, I, I, Will Penn could fire any gun and look awesome while giving a speech. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time. Yes. He could, because nice. he's that awesome. He's kind of up there with... A, he's up there... In terms of TV characters, he's up there with Sam Axe for me. I think Sam Axe could do anything in a firefight. So, so can Weaver. Because if you watch Burn Notice, Sam Axe is Bruce Campbell's character on that show. Okay, that's another awesome actor that you don't want to mess with in Nerd Alley either. No. No. But I think we're digressing. Yeah, I just am sad that we have to wait all the way to next summer before we get more episodes, you know? It's crazy. Really, this show's so popular. They really should try to do a winter segment like the USA shows do. Yeah, or like Leverage went to right. having a double season or a two-parter season in the middle of its run because it got very popular as well. Is Falling Skies due to production cost? I think it's probably, yeah, they have higher quality episodes because they have you know, only the 13. Right. So I, I do think it, it's it's a production scheduling, production costs, and I, I think it's intentional that they want those 13 episodes, each one to be solid rather than having 22 where you know maybe 10 of them aren't high quality well and according to noah wiley yeah they, they said that spielberg's pretty hands-on with the show mm-hmm. that he's pretty, it's got that feel you know yeah he's pretty you know hardcore involved and will come to the set and make sure things are right and ask actors you know what's going on or if they need ideas or things like that i heard he's pretty you know helpfully involved so with his schedule you know he's making a movie a year he's got that lincoln movie coming out that maybe this works for his schedule as well right to do that way so he can be involved because i mean i think his touch on things makes it better especially in a story like this. I mean, you feel his hands molding things with this show yeah, and how things are done. And then and it's good. I mean, Spielberg needs a solid sci-fi story because some of his outings in that department have been a little weak in the past couple of years. Except for Super 8. Well, yeah, but that was more J.J. Abrams than anything well, else. I mean, he kind of okayed I, it. I was watching documentaries and stuff on it the other night. Kind of a team effort. Okay. Yeah, that was awesome, though. <laughs> That's a good movie. That is a great movie. Yeah, Super 8 was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. So with that, I think we're going to move on to the closing. Nico, you want to share with everybody what we got on our next episode coming in? Sure. On our next episode of Across the Airways, we're going to catch up on more Alphas and Warehouse 13, and along with Series 7 premiere of Doctor Who that I originally said we would do today, it's going to be next week. Yes. That'd be great stuff. And also, you could check out our spinoff podcasts. God, Michael, you want to take it away with what those are since two of them are yours now. This is true. I'm moving up in the world, guy. Yes, sir. No. 
First one on that list is Retro Reviews, which is hosted by myself and my partner in crime, Louis Kim, where we used to cover Smallville, but now basically we kind of cover whatever we want. Where this season, when we start back up again, we're going to be going back to covering old TV shows that have been canceled or completed that we just want to review. We did some Power Rangers and Scooby-Doo last season with some Supernatural as well. So we'll see. After that, we also have the DC Nation podcast, which I co-host with Dan. Yes. And on that one, we cover Green Lantern in the animated series, Young Justice Invasion, and Smallville Season 11. Now, Green Lantern and Young Justice are on hiatus right now, but we are still covering Smallville, and we are covering the current New 52 DC Comics series. So our next one, well, our latest one was Green Lantern, and and then Superman. And after that- Super Soapbox episode. Yes. Yeah, and then our last one, our most recent one, which everyone on Across the Airwaves who will be watching the show is invited to join in on. And we are raving about it as well. And we are raving about it. <laughs> Hosted by myself and Wu and, of course, Dan and Nico whenever they want to, is Longbow Hunters, the Arrow podcast. And that's obviously covering the CW series Arrow, which will premiere this fall. And right now we have episode zero out, which Wu and I give background to the Green Arrow character, his history, and his appearances in other media, as well as our thoughts on the show and predictions for it. So check all those out. That was a lot, and to you. Yes. Also, if you'd like to talk to us about Arrow, anything to do with DC Comics that we talk about on the DC Nation podcast, Falling Skies, Warehouse 13, or any of the shows we cover that are returning into the fall, you can contact us by visiting our website at www.acrosstheairwaves.com. Then there you can email us at acrosstheairwaves at gmail.com. Again, that's acrosstheairwaves at gmail.com. You can also click the various links to hit us up on Facebook, Twitter. Our Twitter is Across Airwaves. There's no the on there. It's just Across Airwaves. Or join our circle on Google+. And by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, you'll get access to all the movie and TV news that Nico researches and looks up during the week, as well as updates on our podcast episode releases. And also, we have a new Facebook application for ATA that will allow you to listen to our episodes. Think through your Facebook or through a link on your Facebook. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter to be updated when the next new episode comes out. Also, if you'd like, if you have any crackpot theories about next season of Falling Skies or, you know, the new shows coming back in the fall, feel free to leave us a voicemail. Again, uh, what number can you call us at, Nico? 773-809-3363. And also you can access our YouTube channel, which features previews and promos for upcoming episodes of our favorite TV shows, as well as previews for upcoming movies, including the new James Bond movie Skyfall and Man of Steel. And also, Michael made a new video advertising our DC Nation podcast. So check out that video. Give him some hits. He'd definitely appreciate that. Also, comment on the video if you like it. And lastly, you could download our Android app. Yeah, through that Android app, you can listen to our podcast episodes and contact our podcast all through your cellular phone. So once again, for our HEA Retro Reviews host that wasn't here today, Wu Kim, I'm Dan Schmidt. And I'm Nico Reifstick. And I'm Michael J. Petty. Dan, thank you for joining us again, Michael. Anytime. And until our next episode, we will catch you on the airwaves. See everybody. Have a great week.
Jeffster lives, man. We now return to our regularly scheduled program.